Here's this 11th hour plea. God says to mankind, yet even now, you know, he's like saying, come on, I've done everything. Yet even now, if you'll turn to me, he says, with your, all your heart and fasting, with weeping and mourning, and he said, and tear your heart and not your garments. Of course, to the Jew, you saw the high priest do that. That was a sign when they would tear their garments that they were torn inside. It was an outward expression of the fact that they had a broken heart. By the time Jesus came, it was just you know, a routine. It wasn't at all representative of what was going on inside. Caiaphas tore his garment and accused Jesus of blasphemy for saying that he was Jesus, you know. Here the Lord says, look, tear your hearts, not your garments. Look, anybody, if, if he's saying this in the Old Testament to his ancient people, that have turned away. They've experienced redemption. They've come out of Egypt. The blood of the lamb brought them out on the Passover night. Not a Levitical feast. Before any of the Levitical feasts were given, the Passover feast, the blood of the lamb, redemption. And this ancient people turned away and God is saying to them, look, even now, if you'll turn to me, and you do it genuinely, and it's in your heart and not just in your religious nonsense. Anyone here tonight that you feel at a distance from him? He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. His word abides forever. And I believe anybody in this room who's been away from Christ, he would say to you, yet, yet. I see it. I know what's going on. All things are open and naked before me. Yet, even now. I want you to turn to me. I don't want some religious nonsense. I want your heart. I want your heart. <clears throat> it's interesting, I just happened to read this this week. Spurgeon to me is the master of the English language. There's nobody else that speaks English like him. It's almost, it's unfair. Um, I read this week he said it's in regards to we love him because he first loved us there is no light in the planet but that which proceedeth from the sun and there is no true love to Jesus in the heart but that which cometh from the Lord Jesus himself from this overflowing fountain of infinite love of God all our love to God must spring. This must ever be a great and certain truth that we love him for no other reason than because he first loved us. Our love to him is the fair offspring of his love to us. Cold admiration when studying the works of God 
anyone may have. But the warmth of love can only be kindled in the heart by God's spirit. How great the wonder that such as we should ever have been brought to love Jesus at all. How marvelous that when we had rebelled against him, he should by a display of such amazing love seek to draw us back. No, never should we have had a grain of love towards God unless it had been sown in us by the sweet seed of his love to us. Love, then, has for its parent the love of God shed abroad in the heart, but after it is thus divinely born, it must be divinely nourished. Love is an exotic plant. It is not a plant which will flourish naturally in the human soil. It must be watered from above. Love to Jesus is a flower of delicate nature, and if it received no nourishment but that which could be drawn from the rock of our hearts, it would soon wither. As love comes from heaven, so it must feed on heavenly bread. It cannot exist in the wilderness unless it be fed by manna from on high. Love must be fed on love. The very soul and life of our love to God is his love for us.